you're listening to Going Places. I'm your host, Kara Orbell. I initially started this podcast to learn more about the ins and outs of travel. Eventually, I discovered there's so much more to a person than where they go. My goal is to learn more from people who are going places. I've interviewed community leaders, entrepreneurs, veterans, authors, and experts who tell fascinating stories and give amazing advice. Thanks for tuning in, and I can't wait to see where you go. Hi, everyone. You're listening to Going Places. I'm your host, Kara Orbell, and today I'm talking to Dr. Brian Brees from St. Norbert College. He is the president of St. Norbert College since 2017, and he graduated from St. Norbert College in 1990. In between his graduation and his presidency, he also got his master's and doctorate at Ohio University, and he worked at Ohio and St. Catherine University. So I'm so excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much for being here. Well, the honor is mine. Thank you for inviting me, Kara. This is exciting. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you. I mean, you're kind of iconic on campus. You're, oh, you're a fun oh guy. Oh my goodness. I don't know if I believe iconic is a pretty big word. I think you're iconic. This Going Places podcast is awesome. Thank you. I listened to a couple of your uh, r- earlier podcasts and it's really intriguing. Uh, so thank you for inviting me on. Thanks, of course. So let's dive into it. I want to start from the very beginning. Can you talk about your upbringing and what led you to St. Norbert College in the first place? Wow, that's a great question. Well, I um, am proud to say that I was born and raised in Wisconsin, southern Wisconsin, a a little town uh, called Monroe, uh, just south of Madison. And uh, I, uh, one of the great blessings of my life is uh, I have three sisters, uh, two older and one younger. And uh, so uh, an only boy, kind of right in the middle. Um, and my, both my parents, uh, Clarence and Mary Lou, they were both uh, educators. My mom was a teacher's aide and uh, she described herself as the attendant secretary uh, and for 40 years in my uh, local high school. And my dad was a teacher, athletic director and coach in the same high school for uh, just over 30 years. So I, I grew up in a family uh, of educators that valued education and uh, three just incredible sisters. And you won't find, there's four of us in five years. So we're really packed in. Um, but we had a, uh, a really wonderful uh, family of origin experience. Uh, and I think those two features, uh, parents being educators and uh, having three sisters, I think those two things really had a lot to do with who I am and the fact that I'm in education. Um, after, I'll just t- go a little bit further down the, the story, um, but after um, I graduated from high school, I did come to St. Norbert College, and it, it was here where uh, so much for me opened up and became possible, uh, but it was uh, Dr. Dick Rankin, who at the time was the Vice President for Student Affairs and Dean of Students, who, uh, as, uh, as probably I would say, he would probably describe it differently. He took me under his wing uh, and at one point in time, he asked me if I'd ever thought about a career in higher education. Um, I don't, he didn't come out and say you should be a dean of students, but uh, he did point me to this. And this was back in the day, Carol, when you looked up careers in a book and you paged through and you read what they meant. Uh, but Dick Rankin, uh, who uh, was the vice president of dean of students for you know, 30 years at St. Norbert College, he pointed me in that direction. I had other faculty and staff mentors and we can talk about them if you're interested, but it was that kind of nudge by one person 
uh, you know, with a family that believed in education that really got me first thinking about higher education. And, and, uh, and as they say, this, the story kind of wrote itself from there, but it, that's how I got interested in higher ed. Um, and I went away to graduate school, as you said, and uh, really studied uh, my dissertation and my doctoral work had three parts, uh, law, history, politics of higher education, um, applied statistics, and two thirds of my doctoral work was uh, human development, you know, how college age students grow and develop. Um, and after that experience, I went to St. Catherine for 22 years. Uh, and when I got the invitation to come back to my alma mater, a place that's meant so much to me, uh, Carol and I uh, couldn't, couldn't turn it down. And I did mention Carol, I should say that we met, um, it's a long story, I can tell you a short version, but we met, uh, really uh, started dating in college our first year, first semester, and, and have been together ever since. So it's fun for the both of us to be back and, uh, you know, at the institution that meant so much to us, but in, in, uh, in a very different point in our lives, uh, really enjoying it. That's a great story. I'll have to dive into that, but I feel like I have to ask for all the St. St. Norbert students listening, what were you like in college? Oh my gosh. Well, I was never procrastinated, was a very studious student, uh, very well behaved, always doing exactly what the exceeding faculty expectations at every turn. No, I, I, I'm going to be honest with you, Kara. I had uh, maybe a classic um, college experience from the perspective of uh, I, I wasn't a very focused student the first year or so. Uh, and Carol likes to claim that it was when I met her that things all turned around. Um, and, you know, I'll give her, I'll give her a little credit for that, but I was uh, a basketball player and I was in track for uh, one year. Um, so I was really into the athletic scene. Um, I was involved in uh, Mr. Ed's, which no longer exists, but it was a social group uh, named after Mr. Ed, the talking horse. Um, but, but I was a, a pretty uh, traditional college student in that I was really taken by the atmosphere and the collegial nature of the campus. Didn't really know what I wanted to study. I uh, have a, a fun uh, story of finding a major, ended up being a sociology, psychology major. Uh, but I really, uh, I had to submit a, a, a bar chart to graduate school to show my phenomenal academic progress because I had a pretty weak GPA that first uh, two semesters. Uh, but after that, I fo got focused and really found my passion uh, academically. And uh, proud to say the last several semesters, I was on the Dean's list. Uh, <laughs> but, but I was one of those students that was pretty involved with athletics, uh, very involved uh, in volunteering, engaged on campus. Um, at that time, uh, Carol and I both were both, were both Catholic and we really, uh, Sunday night mass was a part of our uh, weekly routine, uh, but really um, had a lot of fun. And in the last three years, I've studied really hard um, <laughs> and I found my passion uh, through a couple key faculty and staff. I mentioned Dick Rankin, but Dr. Tom Foss, uh, who has since passed on, uh, was a, a professor of sociology he had a, a big impact in my life. Ray Zorowski, who just recently passed at the college, he was a psych professor. Carol and I both had him for Psych 100. And some of the faculty that, um, that I had are still here. Stuart Korshavin just 
retired, um, but, but just the faculty and the staff that I experienced really gave, um, gave it real depth. I lived on campus for four years, I lived in Burke Hall, VMC, and I was among, the, I was the first class to live in the townhomes when they were first built. So I lived in townhouse 12 my junior, senior year. And I had uh, two more things I want to share with you. I had, as a student, I had, I worked in Shildy Sports Center as a recept, uh, someone who received students and checked IDs for four years. And I was the research assistant for Dr. Razorowski in psychology for two years. So I, you know, I, I was, I think, a pretty traditional college student. Um, I found my focus in that after that first year and really got a lot out of the college experience. Mm, I like that. That's so also, we also were very successful in intramurals. We were the four-time defending champion in flag football. Oh. Um, yeah, so, you know, we, we have, we, you know, we, we made quite a, uh, quite an impact. I also claim, uh, not that it's, I don't know if anyone can refute this, but also claim uh, the status of having invented um, college campus golf, which is where you take the tennis ball and you have, and you play golf around campus. I don't know <laughs> if that's even allowed anymore. Um, there's a lot of things that happened in the 1980s that aren't allowed anymore. Uh, I was a, when I was a first year student uh, is the year that they changed the drinking age. And so oh. I was, I turned 19 uh, in July before I started. So I was of age and that was a, a different, a different era. Um, but we had a lot of fun at winter carnival at the time when they, we could still have snow and ice around. We did ice sculptures and just a lot, just really immersed myself in the, in the culture and the experience of campus life. I love that. Those stories are so funny. Yeah. That's so great. So from a student's perspective, what would you say to an incoming student about St. Norbert? Mm. Well, I, I think the, the jewels of St. Norbert are the people. Um, the students have such passion for issues of justice and purpose and meaning. Uh, they volunteer, they engage, they're active. Um, so I'd probably say a lot about uh, the dynamic and, and engaging nature of our students. Um, I'd talk for sure about our sense of community. Of course, we call it communio, but th what that really means from a faith perspective and from a personal development perspective. And boy, there's never been a year maybe one could say uh, where community has uh, been more evident than this year, the way students have sacrificed themselves and other uh, things out this semester to be successful and cared for each other. Um, I definitely tell, I tell new students, prospective students about our faculty and staff and how wildly talented our faculty are and how deeply focused they are on the success of students. And I for sure, uh, share examples of the kinds of things that students will find themselves engaged in with staff in the co-curricular. Uh, just so many wonderful features uh, about the people um, of, about the campus. But I, I usually tend to talk a fair amount about the promise of higher education and that it requires a, a lot of students to get something out of college. Um, and when students engage themselves fully, uh, their opportunity to succeed and flourish uh, just goes up so much. So if I could ever get students to know one thing, it's really immerse yourself. And that is the single best predictor and catalyst for your own human flourishing. 
and it's hard to take risks and to try new things and people bring uh, worries and fears and anxieties to this enterprise of higher education. So when we can liberate students to really explore, take risks, try new things and really immerse yourself, when that happens, the magic of flourishing happens. And uh, so, in fact, talking about students, uh, on President's Day on Monday, you know, most presidents take the day off. Um, you know, it's really not a President's Day for college <laughs> presidents, but we pretend like it is. I, I was invited <laughs> by the admissions staff, Carol and I both, to join, you know, 11 degrees below zero, 31 below a wind chill. And the admissions staff invites Carol and myself to join prospective students and families on campus tours. So it was so much fun. Uh, the student tour guides are so incredible. So to answer your question, what I would, what I would say to students about St. Albert College, I, I could not say it any better than our tour guides do when they're bringing prospective students and families around. Um, but it, it's fun, Kara, to watch um, students' eyes light up when they realize this is the place for me. And so that's a great question. Yeah, there's so many wonderful things to say about the college to prospective students. True. I agree. And actually, um, my boyfriend, Jacob Patrick, took Carol Brees around, took your wife around on a tour yesterday. No kidding. Monday. Yeah. So how did how did he do? He did good. He was nervous. Shout well, how did Carol do? That's the question. <laughs> he said she was really nice. I was teasing the so. tour guides that I had that. I know how smart they are, and I, I, but I did not know how much, they, how much volume of knowledge they had about the college. And so I told each of them that I was going to try my hardest to find something in, interesting about the college that they didn't know. And it turns out I was able to come up with a couple of things, but I was joking with the uh, third tour guide that I found myself frequently having, having to go back to 1986 to find something they didn't know because <laughs> those tour guides are amazing. So I'm, I'm glad that Jacob, is that his name? Yep. I'm, he's I'm, tall. Glad, he, I'm glad he's a tour guide and uh, I really appreciate uh, how, how wonderful they, they're doing uh, in that work too. Yeah. He, the tours at St. Norbert are amazing. I love how it's one-on-one. -on -one. That's my favorite part about it because yeah. you really get the experience that no other college can give. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty awesome. Especially what they're doing this year during COVID. We're the yeah. first college in the upper Midwest to start back up with in-person, safe in-person tours on June 6th. And it's really, really been awesome to watch that, um, how meaningful that is to students and, and family members. Yeah. I really want to dive into COVID because I think you, St. Norbert really preserves the student experience and the school experience during this pandemic and keeping it safe. So I would love to dive into that a little bit later. Yeah. However, I want to dive into higher education. So whenever I talk to entrepreneurs, we talk about the entrepreneurial mindset and the fact that people are psychologically kind of, kind of tuned in into what their career is. So what do you think psychologically, innately drew you into higher education? Mm, that is a fantastic question. Um, and I agree with the principle. I, I will tell you that when I was a student, I, did, I had no idea what I wanted to do. First, I thought I wanted to be a teacher like my dad and mom, um, but then it changed and I ended up finding my own path. And, and I think that's important for students to know that St. Norbert College is about exploring. So if, if you're feeling pressure to pick a major, don't feel that pressure. Over a third of our students come with no major. Uh, I really encourage exploration. 
those first couple of years. And um, we have a four-year graduation guarantee and you can pick that major, you know, through that second year, um, as long as it's not education and you can get through in, you can get through in, in four years, but give yourself the privilege and the honor and the joy of exploring. But what, for me, uh, I think there is sort of an, uh, an innate connection. And the way I think about it is that I realized uh, through lots of mentoring and guidance from uh, people that I bumped into along the way, that what I'm doing here at St. Robert College and what I've been doing in higher education for almost you know, 30 years now, um, but I would say a couple of years in, so it wasn't very far into, maybe two years in, I realized that what I was really doing was on a vocational journey. Um, and that's really being at the intersection of, of what's asked of you um, and what you're called to, you know, what, what gives you joy. And for me, for a very long time now, over two decades, almost three decades, it's been vocational in nature. And so I'm really drawn to the idea that we get to help shape how people think about their lives, uh, what they do for a living, who they are. We get to engage students on really powerful questions of purpose and meaning. And we get to help reveal, um, help students reveal for themselves, I guess is a better way to say it, what matters to them and what they're calling to, called to. Uh, and I don't know what more, what work is more noble than that, to be a part of shaping people's lives and helping them explore what's possible. And you can read it in a mission statement, or you can read it on a missions brochure and you can feel trite in some ways, but it's real that students are truly at that intersection of teaching and learning, exploring who they are and what they might want to do for their life. And most importantly, how they can impact the world. And for all the different things that we could say about society right now, we can say that in my lifetime, I don't know if the world's ever needed more now than, than ever St. Norbert College graduates. You know, graduates that are well-educated uh, in a broad range of ideas and, and deeply in a major or a minor program of study that goes deep. This is the concept of the liberal arts. And with the, with the prism of values, the Catholic Norbertine values. So this tripartite mission, I say, of Catholic liberal arts and Norbertine, that's a, a unique and distinctive kind of education. And when you really dig into uh, the theory and the intellectual framing of that, uh, it's powerful and it liberates people to think and feel in powerful, impactful ways. Uh, it helps them understand not only who they are, but what they might wanna do. But as I said, most importantly, how they can contribute to the betterment of society. And I know there's a lot of other noble professions and fields and things uh, that people could say the same about, but I am personally just really compelled by that vocational call and the opportunity to be in that work. And for now almost 30 years watching uh, young women and men uh, figure that out and realize that they can make a huge impact on the people around them uh, in the world. And they can really change problems, uh, societal, real serious problems. 
uh, and challenges that they can face. And that is for me, a worthy cause um, to give yourself to and to really um, bring other people into. And I uh, feel a deep, deep responsibility to the next generation of leaders as well. Um, and maybe there's students out there listening that are thinking higher education has been good for them personally, but maybe they also could see themselves, you know, in that, in that field as well, in that, in that kind of work. It's amazing. And it's life-giving. It's, uh, my parents taught me this as educators themselves. When you're around teaching and learning like this, you just can't help but be excited about life and to get engaged and to just watch and to learn from students and to learn from faculty and staff. It's just a, it's a really special place. I'm, sometimes I'm a little nervous to tell people about this because you will be overwhelmed with people that want to be a part of something so much fun and, and something so purposeful, but it really is special. And, and it happens here at St. Ober College in a particular way uh, that, you know, in some, in some ways you really, it's hard to describe. You, you know it when you're in it and you can see it, um, but it's really, it's important and it's uh, purposeful and it's very tied to uh, our purpose as an institution. And so those Catholic liberal arts Norbertine uh, values really uh, are, are palpable and powerful here at the college. I love that. That was a really good answer. I you wanted know, Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I wanted to go back because you mentioned that vocation is doing what brings you the most joy. And you mentioned a lot of amazing things that you do just working with students who get to change you, who get to change the world. I mean, you, you have such an impact and you get to watch the students come in freshman year and then shape themselves. Is that what brings you the most joy watching the development of students? Yeah. I mean, after all, that's what we're doing. Um, and, you know, with that joy and with that learning also comes suffering and difficulty and challenge. There's some very basic notions of human development that uh, cognitive and psychosocial uh, and emotional development requires uh, dissonance and conflict. And so what really gives what we do joy is watching students bump into that difficulty to sort it out, to test their abilities, their skills and their ability to navigate that. Earlier you were talking about, um, we were talking earlier about the boundary water trip that you went on and the challenges that you had around that kind of an experience. Uh, and by the end of that trip through the GAP program, you were describing to me kind of how good it felt to really conquer those portages, right? Yeah. And it, we all have those kinds of experiences, but to watch students, and that's just an example, but there's so many ways that we could talk about how students come to this challenge and this opportunity, how they navigate it. And when you, over the course of four years, you know, I always tell people not in higher ed, every year, the entire developmental framework resets itself as our seniors launch into the world, a new set of first year students uh, join us. And so to watch that cycle of, of evolution and how students grow and develop and how they navigate that tension and that, let's think of it like a sort of a spiral that goes upward. You have some progress and you have a little bit of regression and then you come back through that. And as you make your way through those, those cycles of challenge and support, uh, that dynamic plays out. It's just amazing to watch and, and so many 
points in the year, but really the April and May of every year, you see students being recognized, uh, their recitals and their performances and their, their presentations and their theses that they're writing and they're securing jobs and they're going to graduate school. And you see them sharing that news with each other and with the community. And then of course, the commencement. To watch that journey is a real privilege uh, and it is full of joy. Uh, but along with that joy comes that struggle, right? Yeah. Great point. Okay. I want to ask, it might be too much, but what was your big struggle when you were in college? Yeah, that's a great question. I kind of alluded to it earlier. I, I would say that two things. One, my, my initial struggle was really finding my academic passion. Um, and so in, in the, in the uh, human experiment here of, of college age growth and development, we bring our full selves to uh, our move-in day. Uh, mine was into Burke Hall room 215. Uh, and you bring nervousness, uncertainty, uh, maybe even doubt and you know, anxiety. All these things come together. Um, and you've got these four years. They tell you they're supposed to be the best four years of your life. And we make it out to be this real panacea of fantastic but it's hard work. And I didn't, uh, I didn't bring the discipline around what it meant to study and to really pour yourself into that. I knew intellectually, my, this is funny, my senior year, I wrote like a 35 page research paper on uh, what it takes to be successful in college. It included time management. It had all sorts of techniques for managing your time. But when I got to college, I completely forgot about everything I had written in that paper. So I think my first challenge was uh, finding my academic um, passion. And uh, the second one would be, along with that, the discipline of what it means to be a good student. You know, the kind of the proper home training of good, being a good student you know, putting in the time and having those study skills. Um, I think those two things were probably, you know, balancing that with the fun and the excitement and the, and the relationships. And, you know, Carol, she was very distracting to me, right? We, uh, the true story about when we met, just a real quick side story is that we actually met. Um, she hates it when I tell the story, but she's heard it so many times. She kind of just rolls her eyes now, but we actually met the first week of June in 1986 at the Janesville Parker High School track at the sectional track meet when a friend of mine who went to her high school introduced me to his girlfriend and his girlfriend's sister. The sister was Carol. So my friend, Carol's sister and I and Carol all admit being at that track meet, but Carol refuses to admit meeting me there. <laughs> she, she, she likes to play it as if uh, she made a bigger impact on me than I made on her. But the second time we met was in Carol's mind, the first time we met was in orientation. We were in the same orientation group and it was October 22nd uh, when we had our first date. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget that date. And she'll never, she'll never, I'll never forget the date or the date. And sh she seems to forget the date of when it actually happened, but we both remember the date itself. Um, but no, I, I think those two challenges were my two biggest challenges and they're perennial challenges uh, for college students, but they really um, put me in a sort of side spin to the point where I really needed to be successful that first semester, sophomore year. 
and I found that rhythm. And when I found that rhythm, it became really affirming and sort of self-perpetuating. And I, I, you know, based on all the things that you're doing, I know that you found that rhythm uh, and you've, you're involved in so many interesting things. But I, I think finding that rhythm and becoming serious about what uh, it meant to be a student and finding an academic passion in sociology and psychology, I think those two things were probably the biggest challenges. I love that answer. That's amazing. Now, That's I will tell you, uh, you know, someone might be thinking that means he, he partied a lot. <laughs> no, that, that may or may not be true my first, my first year, but I've told all my college friends uh, and some of my closest friends in my life are, were my college roommates and college friends. Um, when I got selected as the president, I was kind of joking with them that, you know, publicly that, they, that there was a, a prohibition on telling any stories about Brian, <laughs> a college student, until after his first year. But what I realized um, halfway through my inauguration day when, when they were all ribbing me about that statement is that um, they don't have any really troublesome stories about me, but I got a lot of troublesome stories on them because I was the, the best behaved of the group. I was also a member of the uh, college, community, uh, college Community Relations Hearing Board, which was the conduct board at the time. Uh, so I, that was one of the things that the vice president uh, pulled me into was that kind of work. So uh, th th those are just a few of the challenges that, that I think I overcame pretty well. That's awesome. That's so good. You've probably heard so many crazy stories from that alone, which is hilarious. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I got to keep my roommates honest. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Important. <laughs> so I want to kind of flash forward because I'm really bad with math, but you took about, was it 30 years away from St. Norbert? Yeah, I was, uh, let's see, I, I left in 90 and came back in uh, 2017. So that's 27 years. 27 years. Okay. Yeah, we, can I literally... that, we, we can call that 30. It makes me sound so old. <laughs> no, that's okay. <laughs> but I wanted to ask how St. Norbert had changed since you, mm. you came back because you probably didn't visit as much you didn't experience it like you had in college until you came back to be the president yeah that's a great question thank you for asking it i it, it's true i did visit some but one of the the uh perennial challenges i had is that because i was working in higher education every time saint norbert had its homecoming the institution i was at most often had its own homecoming or board of trustees meeting that kept me from coming. But I did stay in touch uh, with the college. I did visit on occasion. Um, but I will tell you, the biggest change um, was the physical transformation of the campus. Um, and if you take uh, my predecessor, Tom Kunkel, uh, just a, a great man, a great president and a real good friend, you take his uh, nine years and the four years that I've been here, that 13 years, the college has made over $150 million of new and renovated construction uh, to this campus. And uh, all of that has been donor funded, uh, which is just an amazing set of facts. Uh, but the transformation of, of all the beautiful facilities, uh, the Mova Library, the Mova Family Fitness Center, the Gail Mova um, Science Center, uh, all the residence halls have been built. Uh, the athletic facilities, uh, all the ways in which the physical campus uh, has evolved 
is really remarkable. So I, and at the same time, um, there's so many things about the physical campus that are just so classically always the same. Uh, the iconic main hall, uh, Old St. Joe's, even though it's been renovated uh, to just be absolutely beautiful, uh, the space that that, rep that space represents something that's really very familiar to Carol and me. Um, and so I think that, and of course, some of the faculty that are still here, it's, it's always so good to see them um, and the few that are still here when I was here and, and those that have recently retired to stay connected to them. Um, so the faculty have changed a lot. I can say that um, over 65% of the faculty today have been hired in the last uh, 10 or 11 years. Wow. So there's been a pretty big transformation of the faculty. Uh, and then the third thing I might offer is that the student body itself is quite different. Um, there's fewer students from different parts of, of the region, um, that much more diverse. Um, I think the student body as a whole is more academically talented, more athletically. There's just that each generation seems to enhance the overall quality. Um, but there's some things that are wildly and beautifully familiar with the place, you know, the feel, the, the, the sense of community uh, and, and the purposeful uh, focus on students. This is a place that has a, uh, it's in a class of really special institutions that there's a really palpable collective focus on students, faculty and staff um, across the board there's a real intense desire by faculty and staff for students to succeed. And, and that, that to me is familiar. Um, I remember that when I was a student and I see it here today. I like There's that. a couple of things, it, but it's been a long time. <laughs> it's been a long time. There are some things that are the same, but, but I think more of, of what you see physically is just spectacular, the transformations. That's really great. So let's dive in because we know you're the face of St. Norbert. You're the president, but what do you actually do? <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> you know, the, the, uh, they, they, the life of a president has evolved a fair amount over the last 10 or 20 years. I was blessed to study the presidency for probably 15 years as I was discerning whether I wanted to pursue such a, uh, such a role. Uh, and I've in that 15 or 20 years, I've watched the presidency evolve. Uh, but you could you could just look at my calendar and and get a pretty good pretty good feel. It's a, a wide variety of stuff. Um, a, a college president, in some ways, is is kind of like a mayor of a of a city. Uh, in one way to think about it, uh, but I I maybe I'll frame it this way. There's really to simple overly simplify. There's really two dimensions of the work that a president does. And some of it is focused internally. Uh, how are things operating? And uh, are we bringing resources into the right places? And are we helping the facilities? You can think of internally all the things that need to go on for college to be successful. Uh, and then the, the other half, as it were, of a president's life is externally focused. Are we connected with the right friends and donors? Are we connected with the right businesses and organizations and community members? So if you think of it internal, looking inward to the college community and then outside uh, the parameters of the campus and, and how are we connected to the world 
and the community. Um, those two dimensions would, you know, kind of describe my days. Uh, you know, so today I had a, I'm on a board, uh, a healthcare board that looks at um, quality initiatives within that healthcare system. I serve on that as a community member. And it's really interesting to hear what is happening in the healthcare environment uh, in, in uh, the, the Pier Green Bay area. So I spent two hours on that this morning. I was blessed to see uh, partake in a virtual webinar. Uh, Mark Schaefer in our Center for Business and Economic Analysis uh, and two students and an alum, uh, Christine Luce, who's also on our board member. Uh, they led a conversation with several hundred people observing uh, on behalf of St. Edward College, the state of the economy uh, of, the, of, the, of the United States um, economy. And students were presenting how proud it was to watch them uh, present so beautifully. And then uh, Christine uh, is an alum, uh, works with Kohler, uh, Kohler and Kohler Lodge. She talked about how the economy is impacting um, the hospitality industry. Uh, and then I spent uh, about 45 minutes on a phone call with Midwest College athletic conference presidents talking about spring um, athletic competition and how we're going to handle that. Uh, and then I spent um, uh, a, a few uh, minutes engaged with a group called the core uh, leadership team. These are all the vice presidents and their direct reports, uh, giving them an update on the board of trustees meeting. I had today uh, three one-on-one -on -one meetings with uh, vice presidents and then I had this awesome opportunity to meet with a student and hear about her going places podcast. And then after that, I'm going to scramble home for a bite to eat. And then tonight, the, there's a, a really cool presentation, um, uh, great, expecta uh, great decisions uh, presentation that I'm going to take in as a, as a webinar. So much of this is virtual these days. But, yeah. uh, you know, so that's that's one day uh, <laughs> last last week. Um, you heard, uh, you heard Monday I was uh, giving campus tours. Uh, last week we had four days of uh, boards of trustees meetings. So it, it really kind of depends on the day, but it, it really, I find myself trying to find a good balance between helping to what I say, create conditions internally for success and for faculty and staff to be able to really do their work exceptionally well. And then the other part of my time is how do we sit and position ourselves in the pier, in Green Bay, in the state, in the region, and in some ways, even the world? Um, and all that internal, external balancing uh, makes for a very, uh, a very busy, a very busy schedule. Yeah, you sound busy. <laughs> you should, you should shadow me someday. It'd be fun. I you would could, love to. <laughs> you, you could hang out in the president's office, or better yet, I could. I could let you come in and run the show for a, a day and I could take a day of vacation. How's that sound? We could switch places. So you yeah. could do all of my things and then I could do all of your things. No, I wouldn't want to ruin your academic performance or <laughs> your podcast. Do How you about you, you shadow me and help me along? I don't want to mess up. You've got such a good thing going. I, I'd screw it up for sure. Thank you. I was going to say, do you speak Spanish? Because you might need that. <laughs> Well, no, I do not speak Spanish. So see, this is, it would, it would yeah. be really, it'd be really good for you uh, if you help me, but it would be really bad for you if I tried to help you. I would love to shadow you. That's hilarious. And that sounds like a really fun day. Yeah. <laughs> a lot goes on. I like to tease uh, Jamie McGuire is my wonderful 
executive assistant, Amy Sorensen is my awesome chief of staff. And I like to tease them once in a while. On occasion, I'll have back to back to back meetings that run me from, you know, seven in the morning till, you know, seven, eight o'clock at night. And I tease them on occasion when that happens. Um, it happens probably more often than the three of us would care to admit, but the work is so invigorating and it's so exciting because there's so many people in the world and in the region and in, in our community that want St. Norbert to be successful. And so it's really, uh, it, it's really can be hectic, but it really is, uh, it's life-giving in so many ways. I love that. That's great. Let's talk a little bit more about St. Norbert because we have a really unique culture. Can you describe the St. Norbert culture? And then can you describe the Green Bay culture? Hmm. Well, let's see, the, the St. Norbert culture. Well, culture is something that whether it's moving fast enough or not is always evolving. Um, there's parts of it that uh, define a place, you know, the ethos and the charism, uh, how we approach our mission of being Catholic, Norbertine, and liberal arts. There's things that define who we are in a really uh, stable and affirming way, but culture here and mission here are not things that people should think are static because I think the most exciting, dynamic, and impactful institutions of higher education are ones that recognize that who they are as institutions and who their mission, what their mission is and, and how that expresses through their people and their behaviors and their interactions and their culture, as you described it, that ought to be always evolving. And so sometimes I hear people say things like, well, let's, let's uh, preserve or protect our culture or our mission. And I, 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 I wanna push against that always because there are things that you always want to be known for, being Catholic, being Norbertine, being liberal arts, for example. There's I, the ideal of communal is something that we cherish. But the beauty of communal is not that we know it as we is and we have it. The beauty of communal in our culture is that we're always exploring deeper and deeper understanding of what it is and what it can be. Um, so that we're always recognizing that our culture and our community can always be more, it can always be better, not just more like volume, but it can always be better, more sophisticated, and therefore more uh, purposefully and intentionally responsive to the needs of the people within the community. And so uh, I think things like uh, the way you move about campus, the way the way that students will um, greet you, uh, the way they're interested in what you have to say, the way they are, are not in their phone, they're attentive to each other and they're tending to the interpersonal, um, that we hopefully have a culture that is willing to challenge each other. Um, one of the biggest ills in society right now is this propensity to go to a very dualistic understanding of everything. It's either good or bad, it's either right or wrong, it's either red or blue state. Uh, it's either liberal or conservative, uh, either like you or I dislike you. Um, we have to, in our culture and our community, work as hard as possible and even a little bit more to recognize that life and education and human development is not on uh, dichotomous 
um, it's not dichotomous. It's on a, it's dynamic, it's fluid. And so we have to recognize the complexity uh, of our culture and our community. And that recognizing that culture allows us to always be aspiring for more and better and more sophisticated and a deeper understanding of, of what it means to be community, what it means to be in a healthy, vibrant culture. I went a little bit on a, a little bit of a, a sidebar, but the, the culture, the danger of describing culture is that right after you describe it, it's hopefully already emerging. But I, I like, uh, what I like most about the culture at Sonoma College is this perpetual orientation to discovery of, of knowledge, of wisdom, of human understanding of each other. Uh, that to me is profoundly Catholic, profoundly Norbertine, and profoundly the liberal arts. It's that intersection where those three dimensions of our community and culture overlap. Um, and as I said earlier, culture is also fraught with difficulty and dissonance. And not everyone experiences communal the way that we idealize it. And so we have to recognize that and we have to accept that as a truth, but also always pursue um, a deeper understanding and a more sophisticated understanding of, of how we can bring people into our lives and, and help support them and help them uh, to flourish. Great answer. I love that. That's amazing. Well, you know, there's, there's that right there, that, that evolution of who we are yeah. is maybe the secret sauce uh, to our future um, because we're coming through this pandemic and, and it's difficult. There's economic struggles, there's societal struggles um, and the great institutions and the individuals that find themselves succeeding in all this will be the ones that don't, that aren't trying to get through this and get back to normal. We're actually using this as an opportunity to understand ourselves more fully uh, at the end of it or at the next phase of it, the next piece of it. And I think that's true for us individually. And it's absolutely true for us at this point in time uh, with regard to our culture. Very interesting. Let's talk a little bit. I know we're running a little short on time, but I have a few fun questions. Before that, I want to ask about St. Norbert's response to COVID, what was going through your mind when the pandemic hit? <laughs> the first thing that went through my mind was, let me go back to my graduate program and get the, and get the uh, class notes on uh, once in a 100 year pandemic so we know what to do. <laughs> I, think, I think the first thing that, uh, that I realized, and really probably one of the first things is that we've never done this before. Yeah. And when it uh, turns out that when you're in a situation like that, it makes a big difference that you're surrounded with really smart people who like each other. Uh, and I'm talking about my cabinet and I'm talking about our faculty and staff, because when when there's that kind of uncertainty and that kind of uh, significance attached to your leadership and your decision making, not my leadership or decision making, but ours as a community, um, when the stakes are that high, you have to um, um, become comfortable with ambiguity to fully commit yourself to a model of leadership that's all about being adaptive to listen deep listening like you've never listened before to others because a decision on Tuesday that looks like a genius decision looks like 
junior high students were making the decision on Tuesday by Thursday. So being able to be adaptive and to listen deeply and to bring in information to synthesize that and to, um, I have to confess that one of my limitations as a leader or one of my realities as a leader is that if, if there's 90% of something that could be known in order to make a decision, I will pursue that 90%. I'll want to know what all my team members think and what the faculty think and the staff think. I want to get to the 90% before I make a decision. Well, in a pandemic, you can't effectively lead that way. And I knew that about myself before the pandemic hit, but I was reminded of it that for the last 11 months, we've been making most of our decisions at the, at the point of a feather more than 50% preponderance. And so um, being able to you know, work into that ambiguity and be adaptive and listen to students and faculty and staff, what do they think about that decision? They don't like it. Why don't they like it? Let's, what can we do differently? Can we modify it? And being able to kind of work your way in that sort of a fashion and really in some ways leaning into our mission, community, um, make, everyone's making sacrifices. And we've done that so well, students, faculty and staff, um, that that is what has allowed us to stay in person and has allowed us to figure out what to do differently for spring and what will allow us to get through spring better than we did in the fall. So I, I think maybe that's on the front end to answer your question. I think those are the couple of things that I think made that we learned and we saw pretty early on and we then put to work and we just stuck to it um, throughout the whole process. And, and I think those are some of the things that along with people sacrificing along the way, that's what's, I think that's what's driven our success. Yeah. I completely agree. I mean, St. Norbert's response to COVID was unparalleled. I was in Spain when the pandemic hit and I was the first student to leave my program and it was the best decision ever. And St. Norbert was calling me every single day. They were on it when yeah. some of the, some of the bigger schools weren't there. I mean, you guys were there with me even when I was alone making that tough decision. So well, I'm so glad to hear you say that and to share that because our study abroad people and the academic folks and the faculty and they, they work so hard on that. And I mean, I, I'm talking, when I say the whole community, I mean, I mean the house, the people that work in housekeeping, I mean, the food service staff, I mean, the campus safety folks, the health center folks, the faculty themselves, the staff, so many people have done what you just described, Kara, that, that it's, and it's that kind of uh, willingness to step into who we are and to do it for students and the students, my goodness. We had this, uh, of course, we had the spike at Labor Day and Halloween and right about that time, the students brought to campus a couple things. One, a deep desire to be here, but a real pragmatic belief that we weren't going to be here for more than a couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, and after Labor Day and after Halloween, that desire to be here converted to a desire to stay here. And we had to firm things up at that time. <laughs> and students responded really, really well. And I saw students holding students accountable and uh, themselves accountable. And it's when that happened, Kara, is when, is when we really, when I knew we're gonna do it, uh, it we're gonna make it. And it was the students that I think, um, with lots of help, of course, but it was with the student, it's at that moment when the student behavior and the student mindset really revealed itself that I knew we we're gonna make it. I have chills from that. 
Yeah, and there's a student, there was a student, I have to figure out her name because I've been telling her story so many times. There's a WBAY news story and um, she was interviewed and she said on camera that we didn't think we'd be here more than a couple of weeks. And we never thought it'd be the week before Thanksgiving and we're all here. And that student, I have to find out her name, she captured it perfectly because that is exactly what happened. Um, and we didn't, you know, who, who thought we'd be here the whole semester? Well, not many people did. And here we are, uh, we're a couple weeks into spring semester and very confident we're going to be able to navigate whatever we face uh, these next uh, 14 weeks. Yeah. So my next few questions are pretty quick, but I went to social media and asked my followers what I should ask you. <laughs> okay. And so I got three really good responses. So what are three words that describe your life philosophy and outlook? Wow. Life <laughs> philosophy and outlook life philosophy and outlook well um i'll just okay three words um can they be hyphenated sure <laughs> I, one would be um integrity uh it really matters a lot to me that people manifest integrity in every human interaction, every decision. And it's different for everybody and it's different for different kinds of decisions, but integrity is, would be the first word. Do I get to give one word and then say a bunch about it or do I just- yeah. Okay, sure. okay. <laughs> um, so uh, integrity is, is a big one to me. Um, the second one would be the word uh, flourish. Um, what we're doing at this college and what um, I get excited about is human flourishing. So I, I think flourish is, is the um, second word. And the third is, um, I was going to say family, but that's a little too trite. I'm going to say relationships. Um, and part of that is duly and forthrightly informed by Dr. Carol Brees, um, because she's got, uh, many of you know, a master's and a doctorate in interpersonal communication. And one of the things that I've learned over and over from her, uh, and we've been together since 1986, so you can do the math on that, it's a lot of years, is um, the beauty and the power uh, of human relationships. Um, and they're hard work, they're complicated, um, but when you spend a steady time and effort and thought on your relationships and you really work at them and you come to that work faithfully and humbly, they are liberating, they are beautiful to watch what relationships can, they surprise you, um, they, they're so uh, full of opportunity and learning uh, and you know, all the things, um, love, uh, friendship, support, um, new learning, uh, discovery, um, connectedness. Uh, people belong in relationship of whatever kind. Um, the human spirit and the, the mind is meant to be in relationship. So I would say my third word would be relationship. Great answer. So integrity, flourish, and relationships.
Listen, that was a great question that they had. You know, we got it from social media. Man, we're, yeah. uh, I should say social media. I have a Twitter account. But <laughs> I was telling Kira, I was laughing. I was laughing uh, just the other night. I, I just happened. I, I'm not very good at it. You know, I don't tend to it enough. So it's probably not very helpful for people to follow me. But I, I saw a tweet. Someone was asking about a snow day. Uh, and, and it was, it was a, a Sunday night I saw it, but it was like a week old. And I thought to myself, I'm going to retweet this student who was asking for a snow day because I'm scheduled <laughs> to be giving campus tours tomorrow. It's minus 11, minus 31 wind chill, and they're looking for a snow day. Well, then I realized it was the, it was the week before. I'm, I'm glad you connected this podcast back to social media. So that's, yeah. thanks, thanks for that. Are there other questions that came from your Yes, there are. I actually ha- have to mention my mom tweeted you last year because there was a big snow day like a Monday before class and you retweeted back to her nice. we're like, Oh, hopefully she gets home safe. Like, <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice. Well, for whatever reason this year I've been, maybe it's just COVID focused and I'm not with students and faculty and staff physically the way that we, that I am at events and stuff. But I just realized in the last couple of weeks, I've just been horrible on Twitter. So if anybody's out there listening to your podcast and they're frustrated with my lack of Twitter activity, I'll see if I can't take on a Lenten promise to do better with that. Okay. That's so funny. Okay. So the next one, well, I'll shout her out because she was on my podcast. That last question was from Allie Laidlaw and she's a nice. photographer on campus. She's really great. Nice and then shout the next, Allie. Great question. Great question. The next question is from the same person. Next two is the next one is what's your favorite SNC memory? My favorite SNC memory. Um, that's actually pretty easy. So now I'm going to tell a very short story, but it goes back to October 22nd, 1986. Remember that date? Yeah, that, that was your first that date. That was the first date that I had with uh, one Carol Jean Sessler. <laughs> um, and uh, this is back in 86. Um, and I cannot confirm nor deny that Carol was in what was called Tommy's. It was, it was a, a bar. It's the first building right as you come across the bridge from the east side to the west side. There's a brick building. The very first one used to be Tommy's and it had a lighted dance floor. And it was on Tommy's lighted dance floor that I took Carol around that dance floor. I don't remember what the song was, but we that was our first dance on T- Tommy's lighted dance floor. Back in the day, we did a lot of dancing and uh, that was our first date was a uh, uh, several turns around that dance floor. Tommy's light dance floor. Uh, and, and that's where that's where I think one could safely say we fell in love. I love that. That's yeah. so and then and then I'll just kind of bookend that story with our senior year. We're sitting on uh, this might get a little schmaltzy here in a second, but we're sitting <laughs> right behind uh, the priory. There's a wooden bench. Um, actually between the Priory and the, the tennis uh, or the volleyball court where that is now, uh, there was a wooden bench and we were sitting there looking out over the river. It was at night, the moon was out and we were talking about our future. So we were going to graduate school. We didn't know where yet. We didn't know if we we're going to the same graduate school. We both applied and we were chatting away. It was on that bench that I decided one day I was going to marry her. Aww. So that, that was October 22nd was the first memory and sometime probably 
late April, early May was the last one. Easily my two favorite SNC stories. I love that. And I know exactly what bench you're talking about, which is hilarious. Now, keep in mind, that was 30 some years ago. So that actual bench may have, <laughs> may have been, may have deteriorated and they may have replaced it with another one just like it, but you, you, get, my, you get my drift. Yeah, I love that. I don't want to promote a false story that the same bench that was there 30 years ago, it might be, we should go, we should go, we should go inspect it. If it looks 30 years old, it was the same bench. Okay. <laughs> That's so funny. Well, I have two more questions. This one yeah. is from a student. It is, what is the best place you've traveled to and why? Ooh. Well, two places. I want to, I want to, I want to answer doubly. So the, the first, uh, my favorite place uh, was Carol and I, as a, as a part of my vocational discernment process, I was invited to participate in a program uh, that took um, aspiring Catholic college presidents um, to Rome and um, their partners could go with them. And it was a group of maybe 15 or 20 from around the country. And we spent uh, four or five days in Rome um, and we got to meet, we had an audience, a uh, big audience, but an audience with the Pope. Uh, and we had um, the opportunity to uh, meet uh, different leaders and cardinals in, in the different committees, I call them, of, uh, of Rome and of the Vatican. We got to tour the Vatican. We got to see um, the uh, space where uh, St. Benedict um, lived in Subiaco. Um, just to be in touch with Rome. Uh, and both Carol and I grew up Catholic and of course, you know, went to St. Norbert and um, raised our kids Catholic to be able to be doing that kind of discernment about Catholic college leadership in Rome was really, really special. It's hard to beat that. Um, but a close second, um, so to speak, was the time uh, Carol was a, is a re, uh, faculty, a professor emeritus from University of St. Thomas. And uh, she took a group of students to Japan um, for a class one summer on, uh, to study uh, intercultural communication. And uh, the kids and I, uh, Tony, our son, and Gracie, our daughter, they're four years apart. Um, Tony's older than Gracie, and Gracie's your age. Um, we, uh, we joined her for that month-long adventure. And just the people and the culture of Japan is just a, a, just a beautiful culture and community. And it's just really very inspiring. And what was special about that trip was to watch our kids really enjoy uh, global study and study, studying uh, being abroad. And that's the one regret I had uh, as being a student at St. Norbert is that I did not study abroad. Uh, and I uh, really encourage students. And because I didn't study abroad, um, Carol and I have both made sure that our kids have, have traveled abroad a lot and they love traveling abroad. And so those, uh, that's a great question. Uh, two, my two favorite spots. Yeah. Okay. Well, I lied. I have three more questions. But oh, please. Really I'll go all night. This is fun. Uh, okay. Um, what is your favorite place on campus? My favorite place on campus. Hmm. Boy, there's so many. Um, I'm, so I'm, I'm not going to go with just one. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give you three. Uh, one is Old St. Joe's. 
we we love uh, Old St. Joe's. It's so beautiful and, and so important. Um, this the second one, our food service program, our staff and the food that they crank out. Um, so Michael's Commons, um, the main dining room, all the all the offer, uh, offerings that we have for food. There's so much goes on in that space. So I, yeah, I love the food, but I love watching. Um, the dynamic engagement and community building that happens uh, around food um, you know, on St. Albert's campus. And to know that it's such a, a well-regarded number one in the state, number four in the country. And yeah. then the third spot, um, and this is, this is as president, I, I'd probably answer a little bit differently as a student maybe, but because I had a, a lot of affinity for the faculty in the classroom space, but I'm gonna, as president, because I don't spend much time in the classroom, I'm gonna say, uh, along the river. Um, I, I have grown up and, and been around water my entire life. I grew up around two rivers. I went to St. Norbert on a river. I went to uh, Ohio University, the Hocking River, was in the Twin Cities uh, right along the Mississippi River. And, and so I just love the water for lots of different reasons. And when I was a student, the college really had its back to the water. But in the last 35 years, the water Quality has improved. Um, the city of De Pere and Green Bay now feature the water. The, the college features the water. So I'd say the chap, uh, the church, uh, the main dining room, and the water. Three <laughs> favorite that. spots. But when, okay. I was a student, when I was a student, I'd probably say Burke 215, VMC 212, and Townhouse 12, and then Boyle Hall, first floor, uh, where I had most of my classes. Um, those would be some of the yeah, Shoulders. I spent a few hours in Shoulders too, but it was good to <laughs> good to see Shoulders get a get a facelift. I don't know what Shoulders is. Shoulders. Uh, that's now that right there uh, is a great example of the generational differences between you and me. Shoulders was the athletic facility oh. before it got renovated, <laughs> and uh, I worked there as I said earlier for at Shoulders Sports Center as a someone who took I swiped you know, swiped IDs for students. I thought it was a bar. <laughs> Uh, well, hey, maybe, maybe, maybe for for some, maybe there's a bar some somewhere called Shoulders, but no, I worked there, and of course I was a basketball player, so spent a lot of time in Shoulders. Yeah. Okay, I have to ask now. I'm holding you long, but what is your favorite thing to eat? My favorite thing to eat at at the Malva, La, not the Malva, the at, um, the, at the Michael's at Roofs. Yeah, at, at Roof, Michael's at Roofs. Um, <laughs> well. First of all, you, you can ask me as many questions as you want. My next thing is until 630. Okay. Um, but I wanted to, uh, it's a, it really, there's so many good choices. <laughs> but there is in my food pyramid, in the Brian Breeze food pyramid, which is mostly potato-based or cheese-based <laughs> items, easily anything with tater tots has got to be at the top of that list. So I think the, uh, what the, Tater top bowl, that 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 crazy, crazy, insanely crazy smart invention uh, is probably at the top of my list. But you know, they do so many good things. Last night, Carol said, "I said, well, what do, what do you want to have for dinner?" She goes, "Well, I already ate." And I said, "Okay." She goes, "You should stop at Roos and get something." So I went over, and it was cheeseburger night so I had a double cheeseburger and fries so again I, back to the potato theme they, they do so many their pizzas oh my goodness and then the uh the uh 
Algen Free Station has so many cool, there's so many great options, but I, I have to say anything that includes a tater tot is probably gonna get, get my vote. <laughs> I love that. There's a thing at Dale's, the sports bar, they have nacho fries now, but it's only once a month. And so we're trying to wait until that day. And we don't know what day it is this month, but. So nacho fries, nacho fries, nachos, nachos and nacho fries would be, <laughs> can you imagine nacho fries with a tater tot version? I think they had that. Nacho tater tots? Do they yeah, really? Yeah, I think they, they had that at the, at Ruth's. Oh man, I gotta get, <laughs> I gotta get on that. That's. Don't tell Carol. She doesn't like how much I love potato, (laughs) tater tots and potatoes. She's trying to get me to eat things like spinach. I'm like, that's fine. (laughs) Spinach is great if it's covered in tater tots. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. That's so good. (laughs) Okay. Well, I have one final question. I don't know if you've heard it yet, but Going Places started out as a travel podcast. So I stay true to my roots. If you could go anywhere in the world, where would you not go? Ooh, anywhere in the world, where would I not go? Wow. Um, well, that's a really curious question. Where would I not want to go? Um, wow. I would say hell. Oh, you mean on earth. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I would say, where would I not want to go? I would not. I mean, uh, well, what my, what I'm kind of getting, what I'm, where my head is going on this very uh, perplexing question is I would, my first, my gut reaction was I I don't want to go anywhere where there's great injustice. But then I thought to myself, well, who, if, 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 if I would never do that, who's gonna go help work on that injustice? So I took that idea off, I, but that's a really good question. Thank you. Um, I, I, I'll, I'll, here's, here's something that, I don't know if I, I, ha- I have a hard time going there. How about that? I'll say that um, to, to Haiti. And the reason I say that is that um, I both would love to go there and I, it would be hard for me to go there um, because uh, my, my boss for 18 years, uh, Sister Andrea, who is now the president at Alberno College, um, she adopted uh, uh, a son. So she's, she's a religious woman who is also a mother and she adopted him from Haiti. It's a beautiful story. Um, uh, and he's a beautiful man and his wife and two sons are just a great joy in our life. Um, but there's such suffering and such a poverty and such corruption um, in parts of the world. And that's a part of the world that I know a little bit about uh, that really it aches my heart to know that there's that kind of suffering. Um, so in a sense, I would, metaphorically, I wouldn't want to go there just because of, of, of what it represents. Uh, but boy, the world needs um, people going there um, and doing the good work of providing health and safe water and you know, health care and helping to uh, bring you know, a respectable government and democracy uh, around the world. So 
I don't know. I, I have, I, I want to, uh, as I continue on in life, uh, Carol and I plan on doing a lot of traveling. And so I've never thought about someplace I would not want to go, but I, I think that that's kind of my, that would be my sense. I, I don't want to go there necessarily physically, but I sure would love to be a part of the change that would, that would, that would improve those things. Let's see. I don't know. That's a really good question. Thank you. I don't want to go anywhere that's dangerous. Yeah. I, my, my, really adventurous dangerous side that's well that's way that that's I, I i've left that behind me so i don't <laughs> want to go anywhere that's that's inherently dangerous how's that did you ever have a dangerous side <laughs> well i i but you know you, you as when you're younger you're 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 uh, less attuned to things that might be dangerous and you're willing to take more risks yeah and do things that you that you know you certainly wouldn't i couldn't do now um, or wouldn't do now, but I, I traveling wise, uh, we, we love to travel, but I don't like to, um, be touristy. I like to go someplace and just sort of immerse in the, the place and the people and the culture, uh, as opposed to hop around. So I wouldn't want to go someplace where I've got a speed bugger, you know, a motorboat around, um, uh, like a tourist. So I, I like to go places where you can kind of relax and be and see and, and really soak in you might not see a lot of different places in that visit but you'll you'll really get immersed in, in the part you see good answer where would you go post-covid where are you headed like the first place like the get, get, shake the cabin fever <laughs> um well i'd love to go back to rome or japan uh sometime but boy, even driving to the southern part of the state to see my parents would be fun. But <laughs> no, I, I think that, you know, have uh, Carol also taught a course in Hawaii three Januaries in a row for a month. And so it was my heavy burden as a respectable life partner and father to, to bring the kids all by myself uh, that great long distance and suffer uh, through a month of, of spending time in Hawaii. We our favorite place is the island of Kauai. Okay. Um, she also taught intercultural communication there. We spent uh, usually two weeks in Oahu for more of an urban uh, uh, intercultural experience for the students. And then two weeks or so in Kauai to get more of a rural experience. Um, but the, the culture uh, and the people of, of Kauai are just really, um, really special to us. And as is, uh, the people and the culture of, of Japan. Uh, so th those are two places that we, and of course, Rome is just such a beautiful, holy place to be. So and the, maybe if I could pick, we, we maybe we do all three of those. I could take the summer. Maybe you could, <laughs> are you recommending, Kara, that I take the summer off and go travel? Is that what you if you bring me, I have to come too. <laughs> That'd be fun. You could do the podcast. We, yeah. could, we could do three volume this would be volume one do volume two volume three volume four four volumes that'd be fun mm -hmm. and yep. since your mom is so active on twitter she should come with us don't you think oh yeah she'll be the tweeter yeah <laughs> she'd be the tweeter in chief yeah <laughs> she's gonna get so mad at me because that was my only shout out of her this whole episode <laughs> well should we talk about your mom a little bit i feel so bad you've left her so marginalized in this conversation <laughs> after all she did give birth to you Yes. Well, yeah. she's from Wisconsin, but she left and never wanted to go back. And then so, I went back. <laughs> so where, where was she from in Wisconsin? She was from Niagara. 
which Niagara. is in the middle of nowhere. It's by Iron Mountain, Michigan. Sure, way up there. Yeah, so she's from way up there, and then she never returned up there. But my boyfriend has a cabin up there, so okay. we go up there every year. So it's nice. like it's karma because we came back full circle. All right. Well, let let me turn this podcast on its head for a second and ask you a question. Okay. What are the three things about your awesome mom that you'd want to share on this podcast? Since you since you shortchanged her so badly for the first period for the whole podcast, at the end, maybe you could save yourself with just three things about mom that you want all your listeners to know. Okay. Um, I'm going to say, well, she's an in insurance. So she taught me to be very risk averse, which has helped me be safe when I travel because I love mm-hmm. to travel as well um she's very loud so I got my outspoken voice from her and my favorite thing she ever told me was um before every volleyball game or every water polo game she'd say work hard um it was like work hard be nice and have fun and that was her thing nice that's awesome (laughs) she taught you to be risk adverse she gave you your great outgoing personality and your extroversion perhaps Yep. And she taught you lots of good life lessons along the way. That's cool. Yeah, oh, I want to, I want to, um, I know, I, I know I retweeted one of your mom's tweets, but sometime before you graduate, I, I, I do uh, want the privilege of meeting your mom. You might have to meet the whole family. I have family in Green Bay, so they're all going to want to go. <laughs> oh boy. I don't know if I can handle the whole family. Let's, let's, you know, ease into this. Yeah. <laughs> Moms are pretty special, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, I wanted to thank you so much for being on my podcast. It means the world to me and it means the world to me what you're doing at St. Norbert College. As a student, I've had the most amazing experience here and you just make it all the more better. I remember as a freshman, we'd go to your house for the ice cream bash during week of welcome. Like everything you do really just emphasizes the community that's in this campus. So, well, you're, you're overly generous with, uh, with what you're saying about Carol and me. And I, I will tell you that it's a, a wonderful gift of a, of a job to have. And what we do um, day in and day out as a faculty and staff of students is because we really believe in you guys. And, and the, the quality of your experience has little to do with uh, the president or any one person. And it has everything to do with how you have thrown yourself into it. And I, I look at all the things you're doing, including this awesome podcast and uh, students uh, make us so proud and, and you are no exception to that. So thanks for all you're doing and thanks for inviting me to this awesome podcast. I'm going to yeah. be a regular listener from now on. <laughs> thank you so much. You bet. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, thanks. That was my interview with Dr. Brian Brees, president of St. Norbert College. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to leave me a review or reach out to me on social media. I love hearing what you think about episodes. If this is your first time at Going Places, please, I encourage you to look at other episodes. I'm sure there's another interview that will resonate with you. I have interviewed so many amazing human beings and their stories are incredible. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate all of my listeners. This is really my pride and joy in creating this podcast. So thank you. Have a great day and I can't wait to see where you go. Bye.